0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Dw group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18.
1: Plus. You're listening to the Spark Radio Network. Internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. Every day, the men and women of the United States Marine Corps stand ready to defend the American way of life. The few, the proud, the Marines. Peace of mind is easy. There's no medical exam. You'll have lifetime coverage, and your plan can't be canceled as long as you pay your premiums. Call now for free information about our senior plans. Answer a few simple questions and receive approval right on the phone. Plus, call right now and we'll give you a discount prescription card for free. Call 800-553-8687. That's 800-553-8687. Again, 800-553-8687.
0: KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com.
1: At St. Jude, a family never sees a bill at all. It's like the world has been lifted off of your shoulders.
0: St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures. Saving children. Learn more at stjude.org.
1: You're listening to the Spark Radio Network. Internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So, fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign.
0: around us is an amazing place filled with beauty and with science but let's face it sometimes the science can be so confusing that it takes a phd to understand it well you're in luck i just happen to have a phd come and take a seat perhaps i can explain the world around us in a way we all can understand welcome to conversations in science i'm dr judy L. Moore. call me doc I am Dr. Judy Elmore, and welcome to another episode of Conversations in Science. Got temporarily tongue-tied there, and it does happen. Hey, not a problem. Meanwhile, I wanted to say welcome to all of you. And sometimes science does take a little bit of a confusing turn. Well, for those of you who are new to the show, the way it works is that I try to explain science in the way we all can understand. But my little cohort and producer, Jesse. What's up, Doc? Hey, Jess. It's Jesse's job to make sure that I don't go too techno babble on you and so you all can understand what it is I'm talking about. Right. Today is actually a very special day. Well, it's a day in some respects I wish I could forget. Today is September 4th. Jess, do you know what the significance is between September 4th?
1: Well, given you're in New Zealand, I'd have to say earthquakes.
0: Yeah. Earthquakes. We are talking in September fourth in two thousand and ten. The Christchurch, which is the city that I live in, was struck by a seven point one earthquake. It's a pretty nasty thing. So we are now talking seven years later and we're still recovering. But I thought today I would talk about what the mechanics are behind an earthquake because New Zealand has actually suffered from a lot of big earthquakes over the last several years. We had the 7.1, that was in 2010. Then, of course, six months later, Christchurch got hit by a 6.3, which basically leveled the city. That was in February 22nd, 2011. Then we got hit by another earthquake, that was a 6.1 in June of 2011, also Christchurch. Then we get hit by earthquakes that are in the Melbourne Sounds, which are also of the order of magnitude of seven. Then we also get hit by ones that are in, just up the road, Kaikoura. That was last year, just before Christmas. We got Kaikoura, basically gained land, dare I say it, and it rippled all the way up and down the country. Pretty much the whole country felt it. It was a pretty big one. So I thought I'd talk about the mechanisms behind earthquakes and explain where they come from and how they are perfectly natural, even though they are incredibly frightening. So Jess, what is the first question that you can think of that people really don't understand about earthquakes?
1: Well, I know an earthquake is when the earth kind of shake, rattles and rolls, for lack of a term, but why do they happen, Doc? Well the
0: Earth is actually made up of a bunch of different sections of land sitting on top of lava, or magma, as it's also known. So basically, we have a liquid core to our planet. So all of our crust of our, of our Earth is actually just sitting on top of liquid, and it's going to move. Let's face it. The whole Earth is a living beast. But that land, the crust of the Earth... Is not a solid piece of crust. Let's think of it from the point of view of, I don't know, let's take little cracks of ice, okay? If you go out to a lake that has a surface of ice over the top of it, and when that ice starts to melt, it's going to crack in different ways, and each little sheet of ice is going to move in different directions with respect to each other, Yes?
1: Yep, sounds about right, Doc.
0: Okay, so the Earth's surface does exactly the same thing. There's little cru- little sheets of little land that's all connected, and believe it or not, the ocean sits on top of that, and then it all moves with respect to one another, and it's going to move in different directions. As a consequence, you're going to have different forces coming in place, and it's going to do different things every time.
1: Alright Doc, so this is not this is a lot less like the crust on my bread bread that's one big crust. And more like monkey bread where it pulls apart and you pull one piece and it everything shifts. Yes.
0: It's exactly a good analogy. Very good analogy that one. So okay, what I want you to do is I want you to think about some of the forces and some of the things that you can do. So if you were to put your hands to get it flat against each other and sort of push your, t- your tips of your fingers together. And I want you to try to keep your fingers straight, but keep pushing together. You'll find that your fingers, you can't stop them. They're going to want to bend out of shape to accommodate the forces that you're adding. And that's what some of the tectonic plates on the Earth's surface do. They press against each other, and that's how we get mountains. You get this two pushing together, and it's pushing the land up. That's also how we get new islands as well.
1: Wow, that's fascinating. Well, okay, Doc. So how do you explain why some islands disappear?
0: Okay. Well, sometimes instead of pushing against each other equally, what happens is you get the tectonic plates, one sitting slightly underneath the other one. So if you were to put your fingers... Take your hands and put your rest, your one set of fingers over the top of the other and then slide your hands together. One hand is obviously going to go up and the other one's going to go down. And that's what, again, the tectonic, some of the tectonic plates are doing with respect to one another. In New Zealand, that's exactly what we've got. The Pacific plate, which half of the country is on Pacific plate, and the other half of the country is on the Australasian plate which has got Australia on it. And the Australian Australasian plate is actually underneath the Pacific plate. So as it's pushing against each other, Australia is going underneath New Zealand. I don't think they'd like to understand that, but that's basically what's happening. So we've got the whole of the West coast on the South Island is actually losing land, but the whole of the East coast on the South Island of New Zealand is gaining land. It's a really fun, interesting thing. And that's what happened in Kaikoura is that things suddenly shifted and it gained land. We had a whole extra meter to two meters of land that wasn't there before because of the way the, the tectonic plates move.
1: Wow. So
0: It they, is a bit interesting so when that happens.
1: Maybe beachfront property isn't for me, Doc, because I would like to know my land boundaries <laughs> before I get there
0: yeah beachfront property is is not for me for a variety of different reasons,
1: but that's okay so when an earthquake happens and everything starts shaking around what okay it's basically the plates shifting on the lava right
0: yeah it's it's your plates and everything that's shifting around, and there's some other forces in place. One of the things that 's interesting to think about it is it there is a constant pressure between the tectonic plates. They are constantly pushing against each other. But eventually, sometimes, they just have to give. Think about if you were to put your hand up against a wall, okay? And you're going to push hard against that wall with your hand and your body weight. But at the same time, I want you to try to pull your hand down. Eventually, that downward Pull that you're putting on your hand is going to overcome the friction that's caused by you pushing against the wall. And eventually your hand's just going to go sliding down that wall and it's just going to go. That's what happens with an earthquake. That's basically what happens. But it's not necessarily one solid move. Sometimes it's a bit stuttered and you get this you've moved slightly and then you've moved again. And then you moved again. And that's why you get things like aftershocks with earthquakes, because you'll get a little bit of a force movement, and then it's got to go again, and then it's got to go again. And eventually, it will settle down. It just takes, in the terms of earthquakes, it takes years, not minutes, as I really wish it would.
1: Wait a minute, Doc. It can take years for these plates to finally settle back into place?
0: Yeah, it can. And that's why Christchurch and that's why parts of New Zealand were still suffering from earthquakes. I can, If I was to look up a GeoNet, I can almost guarantee, GeoNet is actually the, the earthquake monitoring system that's in New Zealand. I can almost guarantee that there would have been at least another three or four earthquakes, probably in the time frame that we started talking. They're just so and just so small. That I wouldn't have noticed them.
1: Okay, so not Never mind, all... I've
0: become desensitized, but...
1: <laughs> so not all earthquakes
0: are huge. No. And the earth is always moving. And that's the thing. When you're starting to talk about something that's of a magnitude 2, that can feel like a bus just went down the street. And it just happens to ripple. It hit the, say, the underground pipe system at the wrong angle and you can feel it slightly shake. In fact, that's probably closer to a 3, something that's of a magnitude 3. But when you start talking about a 4, yeah, your drapes will move quite nicely, quite happily. When you're talking about a 5, not just your drapes will be moving, but pictures and everything else will be quite happily moving. And and if you're not used to them, you are probably diving under the table going, what's going on? If you're used to living with them, you're more of, do I need to move? Is this going to get bigger? Do I need to worry about this or not? But it's, it's going to quite happily shake a few things around and knock a few pictures over. Uh, a six, yeah, your heart's going to start racing. And dare I say it, you're going to want to move. You're going to want to cover yourself because things are going to fall off that bookshelf quite happily and possibly on top of my head, which is not where I want to be. And I don't want to ever go through a seven again. Please, no.
1: <laughs> okay, so there are some tiny little earthquakes that we never really notice, though. I mean, I don't wish any big ones on anybody, Doc, but there are lots of little tiny ones, and they're okay. Lots
0: and lots of little tiny ones. The little the little ones, they really are, they, they feel like a bus has just gone down the street. That's it. And you take a step and you're actually creating just a small little ripple effect yourself. No one's going to really notice it. It's only yeah. when they become bigger and a bit more ripply, that's when people notice it. However, there is an interesting effect that I have to admit, it wasn't until the Kaikoura quakes that I finally understood it myself. The Kaikoura quake hit last year, just before Christmas, and our seismologists are all based in Wellington, which is the center of the country. And one of the scientists got on the international radio, and he said he knew straight away that it was a big quake, but it was nowhere near Wellington because of the way the quake felt. That quake, when we felt it here in Christchurch, it felt like we were on a rocky boat that just wouldn't stop rocking. If you were to take a pebble and drop it in a pond, the rippling action that you get that's really close to where you dropped it can be quite big. But the further out you go, the less of an impact they're going to have on the surroundings that are sitting there floating on the pond. So if you were to take a toy boat and put it, say, I don't know, a good foot away from where you're dropping the pebble, it's going to rock back and forth on these waves. And that's what that quake felt like. We were just rocking back and forth, and it didn't stop. But if you were to move that boat and put it very close to where you're going to drop that pebble, you're going to run the risk of that boat toppling over. It's potentially could flip.
1: Wait a minute. So when Don. you have an earthquake, you were rocking yes. and you didn't stop. You stopped it felt eventually. Like it didn't
0: stop. It went for a good thirty seconds. And thirty seconds, if you were to time it, that actually is a long time. Yeah. It didn't stop. It kept going. It was just like this boat. <laughs> are we gonna? Are we gonna get off the boat now, please? <laughs> please, pretty please. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't like boats. I'm not a fan of boats, and I really don't like them when my house turns into a boat. Um, Coming back to the train of thought that I had, where if you to take that toy boat and put it right next to where you're dropping the pebble, you run the risk of toppling it over. That can be equated to the concept of if you are located really close to what we call the epicenter, or where the quake actually started. So... If you're sitting sort of right on top of the epicenter, you could potentially topple over. You might still stay upright because you never know. That boat's not may not topple. You, you could survive. But you are definitely going to feel that ground going out from underneath your feet. It's definitely going to go. But a bit further away out, and it just rocks back and forth. And you're just wondering who turned your bed into a boat.
1: That's all. Is that Sounds why weird, doesn't it? Is that why American geologists or seismologists say that California is, you know, because there's there's an earth a fault, the San Andreas Fault runs pretty much along the border of California. That one of these days, California could actually fall into the ocean.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, as well, is is that is again, it's another fault line where part of the fault or one of the fault of the plates. Sorry. Not part of the fault. One of the plates involved is underneath the other side. So if that fault goes, not only will the land drop off into the ocean, it will actually go underneath the bulk of the land. It's pretty scary to think about it, that that's the way it could easily go. So you could easily drop instead of gaining land, where New Zealand will go the other way around. It's looking at the Pacific plate in particular – it's always interesting because it's one of the largest technic- technological plates on the Earth. It encompasses one of the largest areas. The thing that's ironic about the whole thing is that it's the Pacific Ocean. The Pacific Ocean pretty much
1: outlines the Pacific Plate. Big area. Huge, Doc. That's huge. Now, I want to remind <laughs> you of something you told me. Now, you said this off-air, I'm pretty sure. But I'd have to go back, and I don't have time to dig through all the audio files to check. After the Kaikora quake, I think it was, you told me there was going to be another quake on the other side of that plate. And sure enough,
0: Japan and got one. S- six months later, we had one in Japan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Basically, the way you can think about it is, imagine you have a whole bunch of people sitting in a line and they've all got their hands sort of pressed together, but you've got somebody's wrist um, or hand around your wrist, okay? And if one person in that line goes, the next person is going to feel the pressure build up, and they're going to be resisting not just the own pressure that they've got between their own hands or their own section, but they're going to be resisting that force that's pulling on one of their hands as well. And then so on down the line. So what you get is you get this ripple effect. One goes, the next will eventually go. And then the next will eventually go. And then the next will eventually go. And it will keep going around and around and around in a circle. It, it sounds quite scary from that perspective because New Zealand gets the earthquake, then Japan's going to get it. Then California's going to get it. And then it's going to eventually come back to New Zealand and New Zealand's going to get another one. And then Japan's going to get another one, and then California, and then so on and so on. And it's just going to keep going around and around and around in a circle. And it's because we're all on the Pacific plate. We all sit there in parts of the Pacific plate.
1: Okay, That's scary. Another question but, for you, Doc. If yes? we know this much about earthquakes, how come they can't predict them like they can hurricanes?
0: This is the thing. And this is why New Zealand was like, it, it was a seismologist's candy shop when the, the September 4th quake hit. It was because it was a fault line that no one knew existed. In New Zealand, we have the Alpine Fault, and that goes right along the Southern Alps of New Zealand. It is one of the biggest faults. It it, it equates to the San Andreas Fault. It is a huge thing. And when it goes, if it finally goes, trust me, I'll know, and I'll be uh, hoping and praying, and I'll be, (laughs) yeah. But... There are other little tiny faults and other little sections that happen. It's a bit like a braided river, actually. You'll have the main delta that's associated with that river, but you might have little fingers that go off in little directions. And sometimes with that braided river, you'll get new fingers that show up that you didn't know they would follow. That's exactly the same thing with an earthquake. It's just it's a different force. It's a different thing involved. You'll have things that you know about, and then you'll have little fingers that you didn't know about that suddenly go off. And that's why we can't predict it, because we don't know when these things are going to go. And the thing that's interesting about it is that when you're looking at how the land has moved, you can predict an Era. So you can say with a reasonable certainty that a certain fault line goes and it gives way every 400 years. But your margin of error on that 400 years might be 50 years. So you don't know if it's going to be 450 years between the previous incident and this one and the, the new one coming, or if it's going to be. 350 years. You don't know. And that, that is a big, I mean, that's a 100 years difference if that's your margin of error. How do you predict that? How do you narrow down 100 years down to this day?
1: You okay. Can't.
0: It can't I, be done.
1: I think I get it now, Doc, because, you know, I remember you saying that. And sure enough, I kept my eye on the news. And Japan did get one and then California. And I was just like, wait a minute. Doc was right. You can
0: look. Yeah. And what it is with that instance is that you can watch, you know, from experience, you can see it, the tectonic movement, and this is going to be the pattern and you can recognize that pattern. And that's basically in the end what seismologists actually have to do when they're predicting these things as they go through and say, well, we're getting these sort of stresses and these sort of measurements and this sort of buildup which is indicating this factor, this event, and these things. And they can make intellectual guesses as to what's going to happen. And when I said that that's probably, you're probably going to get something in Japan and then followed by California, that was basically what I was doing. Is I was using intellectual guesses. I was taking factors that I knew about and piecing it together, going,
1: eh, probably. <laughs> it's ex- Yeah. It's hard to
0: explain. I know. It's really hard to explain.
1: Now, when we were prepping for this show, I went out and found, we talked about the sound of an earthquake. And you said you couldn't describe it. So I went out and found an audio file that you said really does sound like an earthquake.
0: Oh, gosh. What are you going to play for me now? Okay.
1: (laughs) An earthquake, (laughs) Doc.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to explain that sound, isn't it?
1: It's a deep rumble. It is hard sound. to
0: it's that roar.
1: Yeah. It's a
0: roar, it's a rumble. And the trees actually do because 'cause I've been in a I've been in a forest area when one of the quakes hit and trees actually do scream. I've never thought trees would scream like that. It was weird. Yeah, my science brain went, Whoa, what's going on here? And I think it's just that the way ground just wants to creak and groan against each other, that it just adds it. And it because it's got to dissipate, that wave has got to dissipate in one way or another. And energy, when it gets released, tends to get released in multiple forms. Sound is one of them. And so that's what we hear.
1: Okay, I can understand that energy can be released as sound. Trust me, I deal with all kinds of sounds.
0: Okay, is there any other questions that we need to be looking at very quickly, Jess? Because I think we're coming to the end of this episode. Anything else that I haven't explained that really should be explained?
1: I think you covered the basics, because this isn't our first show on earthquakes, Doc.
0: No, it's not. We did, did Mother Earth just fart?
1: Yep, and you did that one live.
0: Yeah, that was my way of coping with the Kaikoura quake because I was rattled.
1: <laughs> I was seriously rattled.
0: Yeah, no. And this probably won't be our last one that we do on earthquakes because every so often, you know, we get another one. And, yeah, I've got to explain those forces just so I can survive and keep my mental my mental capacity going.
1: Well, you know, okay, I'm always Jess. here for you, Doc. <laughs> okay,
0: Jess. So if there are no other questions, I think call this one done. Well, that brings us to an end of another Conversations in Science. If you have any questions about science and about some of the world around us, feel free to drop me a line. I'm on Twitter, and you can find me at Judy L. Moore, or you can look me up on Facebook, Judy L. Moore, or you can drop me a line on my personal website, Judyelmore.com. I think you're seeing the pattern here. Then, of course, if you are interested in some of the other projects I do, which is the writing and editing, feel free to check me out on blackwolfeditorial.com. But then, of course, don't forget, if you are wanting more information about the science, you can also contact us at the station with the email of science at klrnradio.com. Then, of course, there's my cohort that keeps going through and popping up.
1: You mean me, Doc? Well, for anybody who wants to track me down, you can find me on Twitter at jessiespov. And you can also drop me a line at the station at Jessie's POV at KLRNradio.com. Bye, guys. Bye.